Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You know, when you're making a decision in City Hall that really is only going to change the city 5, 10, 15 years down the line, you got to be thinking about what the young people want because we're the ones that are going to be around. Uh, but moreover than that, the, the young people in this community that were maybe a little bit um, disconnected from the greater Binghamton community in some ways... I think I, I I think looking back, I did a lot to connect young people into the Binghamton community and just do what we could to bridge that gap. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast international DJ, house music producer, creative superstar, and someone I consider a friend, Conrad Taylor. Welcome, Conrad. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please thank you, thank stop. You. All right. So I saw a movie called We Are Your Friends with Zac Efron X years ago that okay. is or is not house music. I've never seen that film. <laughs> oh, no. Really? <laughs> no. Because it's like EDM. He talks about heart rates, and he, he's a DJ. Cool. Uh, there's uh, Emily Ratajkowski, however you say her name, is involved. Um, you have to see this movie, apparently, because okay. this is like my major background. Um, but how the heck does one become <laughs> an international DJ? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. Um, so the way that I'm doing it, and there's a lot of different paths, but I'm doing it with no labels, no promoters, no producers, just a genuine desire to make people dance. Um, so, you know, we know each other from working together on, on both of your campaigns, but music has always been a huge part of my life. And uh, this past year, I wanted to give that a shot professionally. So I, I came out with my first track, um, and people kind of liked it. it. And then they just hit, kept hitting play, play, play over and over again. And then you played it at some of the hottest clubs in New York. And everyone starts screaming and dancing. And then you come out. That, that's pretty much the way it went down, right? It, it wasn't quite that romantic. But I was definitely taken aback by how many people did genuinely in, enjoy it. And this is just something that I'd worked on for a, a few months and tweaked and fine-tuned. So and I'm no house music connoisseur, but Evelyn and I loved it and played it over and over again, and our kids loved it. 
Uh, you're something of a musical prodigy. You grew up here in New York City. You got into LaGuardia Performing Arts School, which is the fame school that uh, all of the celebrities ended up going to. And you, you had a choice between that school and like a more normal school. How old were you when that went down? So I, I was in eighth grade, and I don't know how many people know much about the New York City high school admissions process. But so, okay, I'm in my 40s, so everyone my age knows fame. I want to live forever. I know So So that high school is LaGuardia High School. So I call it the fame school. Um, and to get in is very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. You have to be an extraordinary performer. When you, for you, you got in uh, through, for vocals and acting? Yeah. Yeah. So then at this point, there was a bit of a fork in the road. And where were your parents on this? My parents were, were supportive of me. I mean, I, I had done some acting work. As a child, I was in the Metropolitan Opera here at Lincoln Center and some commercials. Um, but I was also academically and politically oriented as a student and as a child. So, like, this was the, the really the first moment in my youth where I had to make wow. a genuine decision between life paths. And I ended up choosing to go to this school. Shout out, Bard High School Early College. It's a public school on the Lower East Side where you graduate with an associate's degree at wow. the end of your four years, what? which is a re really cool like thing for wow. a public school in New York City to offer. Um, but that was like sort of this, like, I want to focus on... Serious stuff. Serious stuff, exactly. Which, which, you know, now I've made that transition from politics back into music, but these are sort of the two loves of my life that have that I've danced with almost. You, oh, you can come back again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. You can, you can do it. I, I would Two like way to street. get as big enough as an, as an artist where I could sort of reintegrate myself into politics in a, in a new way because I've worked on campaigns. I've been an elected official myself. Oh, you definitely, oh yeah. So, let, so the story of how you became an elected official is so epic and fascinating where you became the youngest elected official in the country at the time, at the time yeah. as a college student. So you come out of high school, you go to State University of New York, Binghamton, where I had a lot of friends who went. It's the flagship uh, state university here in New York. And you run for city council of Binghamton? Yeah, I was 18 years old. And I'd, I'd gotten just ultra involved in the community, like for a number of reasons. When I got to college, I was just so excited to be independent, which I think a lot of people experience when they first go to college away from their hometown, yep. which is just like, you just want to make this new place your home. And I was very passionate about doing that. So I, I got involved with local campaigns and politics and volunteer activities and, you know, student clubs even and stuff like that. And I was uh, learning about all these local issues and knocking on doors for a candidate. And this one woman who I actually got kind of close with when knocking on doors for this candidate was like, you should be the one running <laughs> for city council, not any of, the, any of these other career politicians. You know, the, the same thing happened to me when I was uh, supporting some other presidential candidate. Someone was like, you should be the one <laughs> running for president. That actually didn't happen. That never but happened. That, could, that may as well. <laughs> no, no, it, it totally didn't happen. But in your case, it did happen. And then you were like, maybe I should. <laughs> Eight, naive 18-year-old Conroy was like, yeah, I, 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 I could do that. And, I, and I, I felt like very genuine about it, which 
in some ways, only like an 18-year-old young person can feel that like genuine idealism. Yep. You know? So I did. And we ended up um, building a massive operation in Binghamton, like something that could rival any congressional campaign in the country. So at this point, you when you run, you're a sophomore? No, I was a freshman. The election was one... The election was when I was a sophomore. Sophomore, you showed up. Semester. I got you. So, okay, I get it. I get it. You're a freshman in college. You're yeah. like, you know what? I'm going to run for city council. And then you rally a bunch of other freshmen, presumably, and say, hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to do this thing. Uh, uh, now, this seems, frankly, extraordinarily difficult to impossible because uh, the folks who vote in these elections are not going to be the college students. It's going to be Binghamton locals. And there is an incumbent, I imagine? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so I ended up, Beating the uh, old Republican council president, um, <laughs> who famously at the mayor's state of the city two weeks before my election, I overheard him talking about how he was gonna like crush. I'm gonna crush this kid. I remember hearing that and being like, oh, okay. And, and he had a disparaging nickname for you, and what was that? Um, comrade toddler, <laughs> which I thought was pretty clever. Uh, yeah, you know, and yeah. yet you still prevailed by uh, knocking on everyone in the district's door multiple times. That was certainly one of our strategies. So I would say that when that when I announced my candidacy, if the election had been the next day, I would have lost by like eighty percent of the vote. Sure, I mean I was this. Out of town kid, yep, with no political experience. <laughs> the argument against me was very strong, but no one knows uh, who you are. No one knows who I am. Like, what do I stand for? I mean, the the list goes on. But I really spent every minute for the next 10, 11 months demonstrating to the people of my district why they could, I guess, trust me to do a good job, including so, that summer. I assume. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I walked uh, I, I walked around and knocked on every single door in my district at least three times. I had a hundred plus volunteers working on my campaign. I had a campaign staff. You know, we were raising money. We treated this with the with the seriousness it deserved. And how I, many doors were in the district? Nine thousand. So we're talking about twenty seven thousand door knocks in the space of eleven months. Yeah, I mean, not all of those were registered voters. I would have to find the numbers but it was a lot of doors for sure <laughs> yeah so you looked at it and said i'm gonna knock on these doors uh and when people saw you the second or third time they must have been like holy crap yeah i mean i was having tea and coffee in like people's kitchens and living rooms and really like diving deep about you know not just like political issues but also like their lives and sure. like what i mean i i like, I, I look at politicians now, and I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons that I was so enamored with you as a, as a candidate for president. It's like, it's so hard when you've been in that position to, like, look at someone and be like, are you genuine? Like, are you real? Like, especially now where I feel like I'm more jaded than I have been about politics and politicians in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really experienced what it was like to to sit with someone and then to actually eventually get into a position where you can do something to change their life. Which so, was, so you win that race. 
And yeah. uh, were you surprised? I was not surprised by the time that we won because I knew that we earned it and deserved and what, what's it. That, uh, what was that vote count? We, we beat him by 10, 10%. So it was wow. 55-45, which is not bad. That's that's um, that's pretty much a landslide if you were challenging an incumbent and yeah, the rest of it. It 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 felt that way, certainly. Um so then you become a city council person uh in Binghamton and you're a college sophomore. Uh is that a paid position? Yeah. I mean it's so not a, dope. it's not full time. It's like treated as kind of you get like a you get a healthy stipend, I would call it. Wow. Like it's not like here in New York City where you get like a hundred. 60 grand or something. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been crazy. <laughs> 19-year-old college kid. But yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so you win. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, you did it. Uh, do you get a lot of press? Yeah, locally, certainly. I mean, I don't know what I know now about PR and national. I mean, I, I think at the time I could have gotten national press for it, but I just, I didn't that really know how focus, to do that. was your focus. You have a team, sure. You're just a college um, kid upstate. Yeah. But lo- locally, it was a big deal, and and there are just like a few accomplishments that came with it that I was like like um, I think like people at my school were very dubious at first, but ended up being quite proud because we were able to increase young turnout of young people by nine hundred percent in the district, <laughs> and we defined that as folks twenty six and under. I think is how we defined it, um, which is a lot. But we still would have won even without those people, which was also meaningful. So it was like this, you know, in a lot of college towns, although I see it as, as Binghamton as a, as a city is much, much more than that. But in what people sometimes view as college towns, there's that like town, town gown, gown sure. divide. Of course. And this was uh, a, a really important step, I think, in bridging that in, from both directions because... First of all, it showed that young people have a seat at the table in our communities, regardless of where we are. Um, you know, when you're making a decision in City Hall that really is only going to change the city 5, 10, 15 years down the line, you got to be thinking about what the young people want because we're the ones that are going to be around. Uh, but moreover than that, the the young people in this community that were maybe a little bit um, disconnected from the greater Binghamton community in some ways. I think I, I, I think looking back, I did a lot to connect young people into the Binghamton community and just do what we could to bridge that gap. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy in that I knew if you're going to spend eight hours doing something, you should probably invest in doing it right. That's why I love Helix Sleep, which will send a mattress to your door that's made just for you. You take the Helix Sleep quiz and you get matched with a mattress based upon whether you want it to be soft, medium, firm, how you sleep, other variables, and then voila, it gets sent to your door and you can try it for up to 100 nights 
and send it back. They have a 10 plus year warranty because they believe in their product so much. I do too, my kids do too. They actually seek out this mattress even though it was designed not for them. <laughs> That's how good this product is. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple chiropractors and doctors because they think it'll make you healthier. Don't take my word for it. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang and use code helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So you're a city council person. Um, but one of the fun projects you got involved with is you started a, a projection festival where they, they would light up the exteriors of buildings with these timed, um, di displays. I got the term wrong. What are they called? Yeah, I didn't start it, but, um, certainly like developing downtown was a huge part of what I was focused on on city council and the two co-founders, Josh and Tice launched. Um, what's called the Luma Projection Arts Festival. So the term that you're looking for is projection mapping. That's it. Thank yeah. you. So shout out to Luma, lumafestival.com. It is one of the coolest things that you will probably ever experience if you go to it. The um, buildings come alive, like, you know, City Hall turns into a spaceship. and So Google Conrad Taylor music and then Google projection mapping. Right, right. So these are a couple things <laughs> we that got will... Some, we got some action items. <laughs> yeah, that, that will wow you. And you shared some stories with me about being on city council. That there, was a, that there was one where um, a local reporter used to show up and then they stopped showing up and then all of a sudden things went... Uh, were a little bit less buttoned up after the, the local press stopped yeah. appearing at these meetings? Well, on the presidential campaign and on the mayoral campaign, you spoke a lot about the importance of local journalism and independent journalism. And it was one of the things that drew me to you back on the presidential because, you know, politicians don't often talk about this topic. And, and the reason for that is because I experienced it. You know, I was... Um, the youngest person on city council by far, uh, but I was also for a lot of the time the only Democrat. And it, it just created a lot of scenarios where um, sometimes I felt like just stuff wasn't getting done on the council. And like you were just saying, when there was a reporter there, at least <laughs> one, the meeting was an entire entirely different meeting like no one here watches their city council meetings on tv like their spectrum tv or no one watches it online no one goes you know uh, but if there's someone reporting on it then people in the in the community have a, sometimes a genuine idea of what's happening in the or at least government. if you were one of the members you'd be much more buttoned up He's like, oh, shit, my, my stuff could have got recorded. Exactly. So I felt like whenever a reporter was there, just more would get done. <laughs> and we'd have better, like, conversations about helping people in our community. And it, the, 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 the difference was drastic. And it just, it, it shows me just how important 
political accountability is. And despite the experiences that we have had with certain journalists and certain outlets, and I mean, you know. Well, well I find local news to be uh, less ideological, more up the middle. You know, I mean, right. you, you can't really. I mean, the, the the void gets filled, unfortunately, with cable news and nationalized uh, ideological uh, squabbles uh, and Facebook feeds and the rest of it. Um, so, you know, I mean, as like you you said, I mean, we're connected on this, but you were one of the people that let me know. It's like, hey, it's not made up. I mean, this shit is exactly real life. It's so real. It's so real. And, I mean, like kudos to the journalists and stations in America that prioritize their local councils and governments because I think it makes a huge difference in what actually gets done for taxpayers and for voters and for well, people. Well, kudos to them if they're still doing it because uh, I think that right. the number is that uh, <laughs> I think something like um, 60,000 journalists lost their job over the last several years, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so you're... This young rising superstar in the Democratic Party, um, you it get to introduce Bernie at a rally upstate, right? Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that was sick. Go Bernie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that like you know I was a, a burner in sixteen before I ran. Um, at least I you know I mean I, I get the text to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. We all do. <laughs> um, so so you have a choice to make at a certain point because your term is up. But you could run again. You could run for sta uh, state rep uh, seat. Uh, and then you decide to make something of a dramatic shift and you show up um, in Iowa to work on the Andrew Yang campaign. Like, wh what, what was the next step after city council and how close were you to running for, um, for a legislative seat? Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of people pressuring me to do different things and make different decisions. Running for mayor. Oh shit! You could have run for mayor <laughs> uh, for for Congress, even. Yeah, um, why not? And 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 this is all stuff that I was considering. Um, why did I make the decision that I did? There's two. Main Aside from the fact that I'm awesome. Well, Continue. That's that, that, that's number one. <laughs> number two and three. Well, okay, actually, that's part of number. That's part of one of them. So the first thing is that I got into politics to stop the endemic of career politics. That was part of my message. I felt like a hypocrite becoming a career politician. I really did. And I actually think career politics is very dangerous. I think that um, anything that is a career has inherent self-interest baked into it. You know, one thing I don't like that I have a feeling you don't like and most Americans don't like is that, that whenever someone leaves office, there's like a feeding frenzy of officials oh the level below God. them being like, oh. It's my oh. turn. It's my turn. Yeah, it's my turn. It's my turn. Dude. Everyone's looking around oh. being like, oh, whose turn is it? Is yeah. it their turn? Is it is it your turn? And it just seems like such nonsense. It's like, so you have like a bizarre career ladder trajectory and and, yeah. and and that's how we decide who the heck should be. I mean, you know, you can see this at every level, unfortunately. Absolutely. Uh, so I didn't really want to be a part of that. Uh and yeah, I, I feel like public service just can't have that inherent selfishness that is attached to 
a career. And and that doesn't mean that there aren't incredible public servants who are career politicians yep. who are doing it for the right reasons. But part of building a career is making decisions about your career and climbing the ladder. And I just didn't want to do that because I wanted to stay in politics for the right reasons, if that makes sense. Makes sense to me. So I had some time to make some genuine reflections about what was currently motivating me politically because I knew I didn't want to leave politics at the time. It was all that I really thought about. Um, and for me, that was defeating Donald Trump. I was, I saw, even in local politics, the drastic change in how certain conservatives operated post-Trump. Like, I think, like, a lot of casually racist remarks were a lot more common. Um, sort of carelessness about fact was a lot more common. Yeah, he had a profound cultural impact. On, uh, people say he normalized things that previously would not have been in the bounds. A hundred percent. So I was seeing this local impact on the Trump era, but of course, just nationally, it was, it was I got into the same reason, man. I was like, Trump's a giant red flag. What the heck are we going to do? Uh, the economy's transforming. Like, you know, there are only a few things I can see that might fix it. I'm going to run for, for president and try and... Yeah. And, you know, I, was, I, was, I always said Trump was not the disease. He's a symptom of a disease that's getting worse, which, by the way, is still true. One hundred percent, and and I mean honestly, like this goes back to you being awesome. Is oh, that thanks, I, man. I was I, kidding. I but did thank think you. that you were the antidote. I genuinely did. I was on council at this time, and I was. I'm I'm very proud of a lot of things that I got done, but I'm also very disappointed about a lot of things that I didn't. And part of why those things maybe didn't come to fruition was my inability to connect with more conservative-minded people. Interesting. And convince them, essentially. And I saw this divide just getting greater and greater in our country. I knew that I was not special in feeling this way. And I saw you as literally one of the only people that could fucking do it. <laughs> well, and Binghamton, so people know, upstate New York is a fairly reddish area. You said that you were one of the only Democrats on council. Yeah, it's pretty split. At this time, I think I, like, the there was a bit of a red wave in Binghamton um, that I was able to fight against. The The city itself is pretty split. Even leans blue sometimes. During, Purplish. Well, it's yeah. a college town, too. College totally. towns tend to be tend to be bluish. But then, generally speaking, upstate New York is... Absolutely. Uh, is, is, yeah. Red and would be quite Trumpy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it went for Trump. Uh, uh, I think it, actually, I think upstate New York went for. Trump. So you would be living the divide in a way that most of us would were not. And I, I was trying to uh, heal the divide. Exactly. The gap. So I was like, I'm gonna fight against Trump, and I'm gonna do that by helping Andrew Yang win. So how the heck do you get a job on my campaign? Because I will say for my 
uh, from my vantage point, I'm just like, you know, campaigning in, where, where did we meet? New Hampshire, Iowa? We met in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Iowa. And then it's like, hey, this is Conrad. He's on the advanced team. He's going to be helping you out. And I was like, Conrad, eh? And then someone had given me a couple of your uh, stats ahead of time being like, he's a stud. He's, you know, the youngest elected official in the, in the uh, country. Um, you know, um, uh, he, he's can do with the rest of it. I was like, oh, I'm sure I like him. And then I met you and, and um, did like you. Um, but I, I, have <laughs> I remember to. that. I re- sorry to interrupt you. I remember that the first time that I met you, you were, and you did, did this a lot. You were like, I was like dropping you off at your hotel room because like you don't know where in the world you are. You're like, here, this is where you're sleeping tonight. Yeah. And then you're like, nice to meet you. Would you like a picture with me? And I was like, sure. <laughs> Well, because I don't know if I'm going to see you yeah, again. I, I don't know I what's know. going on. It was like it was it was just such a a funny little anecdote about how crazy things were for you during that time. Where yeah, no, thank you, man. Yeah. I was trying to be considerate. I don't know when who I'm going to see. Yeah, when. I, I was like, wow, I can't believe he asked me that. Um, and and I think a lot of people took note. You were always uh, trying to make sure that the people that worked for you felt appreciated. Well, I, awesome. I felt shitty that I didn't know the. Uh, team members better because when I, I ran a, an organization or a company, I made it my business to know people well. But totally. when you're a presidential candidate, you're like you said, it's like get in this vehicle. You're just gonna trying take to breathe, you. man. <laughs> He's gonna take you here, and I'm like, who's this? Could be a volunteer. Could be an advanced staffer. Yeah, <laughs> could yeah. be an Uber driver. I don't fucking <laughs> right. know. Um. So, uh. So how easy or hard was it to get that job? It was a presidential campaign, so it certainly wasn't easy. Um. But for me, uh, I think I had an interesting resume. Yeah, um, I'll say. <laughs> and then I knew somebody that worked on the campaign who was able to vouch for me as well. Oh, really? Who was yeah, that? That was Annie. Oh, dope. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you if you remember her, but uh, all right. So you show up in Iowa, and what month is that? That was November. Wow. Yeah. So that's November twenty nineteen, and so. Yeah. You have like the the three months that were the most high energy and hectic. Yeah, and you didn't just hang out in Iowa because you advanced us all over the place. Yeah, all so over you the land place. in Iowa, and then we went all over New Hampshire, Washington, California. Nevada. Oh, there was a presidential debate in December. Yeah. yeah, did you staff that thing too? Yeah, for a little bit. Um, South Carolina. Oh shit! I like to think that when I joined, I mean, this like Shelby. Shout out to Shelby and Ethan for. Um, for being incredible. But I do like to think that when I joined, we were able to elevate like the level of the on the ground <laughs> events. <laughs> and, like, and the, you know, when I showed up, it just leveled up the whole operation. I like to think that I helped. Well, I, I will say Conrad is excellent um, at, at making things uh, better and more professional in terms of staging and, and whatnot. I mean, like your attention to detail is very, very high. Energy level is super high. And what people don't know is that advanced staff need to be freaking indefatigable machines or warriors like you know like i mean my hours are bad and like you're like doing stuff beforehand like well, showing we up to the up, thing. you end up in the wrong city so or, or <laughs> i go to a place for speaking and there's like a stage and a backdrop and people and a photo op and the rest of it uh and you know and, and then i leave and then someone's like wrapping all that stuff up and sometimes they're like taking the same sign and like trying to get ahead yeah, of yeah, yeah. we gotta beat the bus Gotta be the bus. I got a few speeding tickets on that campaign, but um, but but what a journey those few months were between November and uh, February. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, what what are your 
uh, strongest or fondest memories? There's so many. Um, I was really proud of, so we, we, we qualified for that December California debate, debate in California, LA, right? and you crushed that. You crushed that debate. It must have been one of your best, if not your best. I think it was my best. Yeah, I think so too. And I think there was a moment when we were like, okay, okay, you know, and, 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 and that was certainly around then. And then we went into Iowa feeling maybe better than we've ever felt. And then you like scored really well in like nine polls and then, but in a week and the four that you didn't score that well in were the ones that like qualify would have qualified you for the January debate in Iowa. So you were like one poll short. We didn't qualify for the Iowa debate. That was a, a big sting for us and for our momentum that we were building. We had just gotten a great fundraising quarter. It was just, it was just not what we deserved, I think. And not what the Yang gang deserved, honestly, to not qualify for that debate. Because it wasn't indicative of the momentum we were building at Yeah, all. yeah, we were having a good run. We were having a good run. And then immediately afterwards, a poll came out with me. Precisely. At that, yeah. Exactly. And then, so we were, you know, in IOA HQ thinking, what are we going to do to demonstrate that this isn't indicative of that and that we can, that we're, you know, we're one of the big players, which we were. Um, so basically, it was, you know, I, I had the idea essentially to do a like our, the, our ma massive rally, biggest rally we've ever done the night before the debate when all of the reporters were already in town, national reporters on your birthday. We would make it like a, our basically our biggest event yet in Iowa, hopefully as many reporters as possible. And, you know, that that's the plan that we ended up executing. Um, and, you know, it was just, it was my event that I built. And it was, it was definitely one of the proudest moments for me on the presidential campaign because I felt like that event just went so well. We had, like, a thousand people there. I remember that night. Yeah. I remember uh, the happy birthday um, song, which I uh, appreciated. Uh, I just celebrated Yang Week with some um, folks online. And, and this was when people from all over the country descended on Iowa to yeah. campaign. And wow, did that bring back some memories. I mean, that, that I was a, imagine. Yeah, that was a very special time for all of us. Yeah, it really felt that way. And that entrepreneurial spirit that you had and then everyone else who supported you had lives on now. It lives on with my decision now to, like, do music. And uh, it, it's, I mean, it's one reason why you are su such like a, an energizing, invigorating presence. And DJ, by the way, you can like, you know, make, make the people move and whatnot. Um, but you're the sort of person that formed the core of the Yang Gang, really. It's like people who just think that good things are possible. And it did feel like that in Iowa. I remember mm -hmm. that vividly, like where we went. There's just so much energy around us. Uh, we, I mean, we spent whatever it was, you know, um, like... Seven eight million dollars on TV ads just in Iowa. So yeah. turn on the TV, totally. and there was a there was a lot of this guy. <laughs> uh, and, and falling short in Iowa was was uh, really hard. Um, I spoke at one of the events that night, and uh, I had a sinking feeling you'd go in because like there are all these signs for the other candidates, and then there was like the Yang pocket, but it was a pocket. It wasn't like a, yeah. Um, 
you know, wasn't a majority by by any means. <laughs> so I was like, uh-oh, this is the indicative. And it was a pretty big site. So I was like, well, this isn't going to be an anomaly. You know, I'm a math right. guy. So it's like the odds of that were pretty low. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the, and so, you know, that, that was a tough, tough night. And then we immediately had to go to New Hampshire, which you were part of mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we had a... We were like in the process of losing Iowa. And that was also a crazy night because the ballots weren't being yeah, counted I mean, right. Or, 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 how do you feel about the fact that the Dem- Dems are kicking Iowa to the curb? As someone who was very witness to the nonsense that was the <laughs> 2019 <laughs> was or 2020 Iowa caucus, I mean, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad for Iowa and Iowans. Uh, you know, it was a quintessential purple state 12 years ago. Obama won it in the general and then now it's Republican plus nine, um, you know, and, and the Democratic Party is essentially giving up on it, saying, like, you're too rural, too white, too Midwestern, we're out. Uh, and, and I think it's just a terrible message. Uh, it makes me sad as someone who spent a lot of time in Iowa. Mm. And, and oh, by the way, the same dynamics playing out in Ohio, even, which used to be quintessential purple and is now plus eight or nine red. And um, Tim Ryan, I thought, ran a great campaign, and he still loses by whatever it was, seven points to, you know, a a candidate who, in my opinion, was not good at all. No. (laughs) In the form of J.D. Vance. I mean, that dude, you know, that dude only got 32% in the Republican primary. So it just goes to show you, like, weak Republican, strong Democrat, they they still lose a general by seven or so. Absolutely. Yeah, so so the National Democratic Party is going to be like, well, we'll just trade Ohio and Iowa in for uh, Arizona and um, Nevada or Virginia or something and call it a day. Meanwhile... All the Dems of Iowa, who you and I spent all this time with, and Ohio will be like, what the heck happened to us? Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. So um, so then I, I drop out in New Hampshire. It's a very emotional time. Uh, and then fly to Nevada to thank people. I just found out the other night when I was reminiscing with folks that there were people that were in New Hampshire that um, wanted to see me that I like didn't come out for because I didn't know they were there. I mean, I was like in like, I, you know, I'd addressed people and then I was in the back, like, you know, trying to figure things out. Um, so that made me feel uh, like, oh, like, you know, I missed that or let let some people down. Mm. Um, but then you and I campaigned down in Georgia later that year for um senators warnock and awesome and made cash relief reality before that made cash relief a reality like we did all the stuff in in 2020 which was a weird um time and then uh you become one of the key people on the mayoral campaign which makes sense because as you can tell conrad's a new yorker and so he's like we're gonna do this uh and it went great (laughs) (laughs) yeah conrad elevated our operations there too no um so, so so that that was um, that was a tough time in New York. It was a tough race. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is just a lot of struggling humans. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a lot of, uh, I, and we encountered and, many. And I, I felt the worst for you because um, I right think. Right back at you, man. Because, because <laughs> I, I think, because, you know, Conrad literally got physically accosted uh, multiple times that I can remember. Uh, and I felt so bad. So, like, when things were going. Um, Poorly in a particular event or gathering, Conrad was a person who would essentially have to like intercede 
um, to, to, you know, like help or whatnot. And so, you know, like, I felt so bad for you, man. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like, as the person, you remember that time on the Staten Island Ferry where like the, the, the guy attacked the photographer? Oh, God, of course. And yeah. so that, that was one of the when times you, like, where. you saved him? That was one of the times where I was the intervener. And in some ways, that's even more comfortable for me than being like the guy who they're, they're, people are trying to protect and then someone else is intervening on my behalf. Like, it makes I'm, not, feel I'm not much of a bodyguard type. I don't know if you can tell on he's camera. A, he's a lover, <laughs> not a fighter. He's an artist. Uh, so, um, but that Staten Island Ferry, when like that, that like that. I, so in that case, I just noticed like a guy's freaking assaulting someone. So I, I jump out of yeah. my seat and go, holy cow, and intervene. And then happily, the guy recognized me and then stands down. Yeah, chills that, out. That but, was but but you good. know that that guy ended up um, uh, hospitalizing someone else uh, yeah. like uh, two or three weeks later. I think it was an Asian American too. It was an elderly Sri Lankan man. Yeah, made me feel terrible. I mean, I like obviously what? we we weren't people who could decide that whether you're yeah. going to arrest the guy based on you yeah. know it's like we brought the police in and then they you know no we saw, we saw we saw some darkness during those few months. It was a it was a tough time for New Yorkers, especially when we got into the race. I mean, it was the deep of winter. It was when Omicron Omicron was like at its height uh, at the beginning of 2021, and I was really proud of of the lightness and hope that we brought to that race at the time. You know, the the economic message the like for a while, we were the only people actually going out there and like meeting people. That's true. It was a virtual which kind of screwed until you and me, <laughs> kind of. But um, but uh, it was it was worth it because you know we we got to actually connect and inspire a little bit. We got more individual uh, donations than any candidate in the history of New York City. Yeah, and so there, there were a lot of people that were excited. Uh, didn't go our way, and so then when we came off of that. Um, you know, you went to unwind, um, <laughs> and, and I went to unwind. Honestly, so in my case, now you wrote a book, but fine. So, so I'll tell you the story. <laughs> Actually, I don't know how much of this you knew in the mayoral. So, uh, so I finished the book at the very end of 2020, right. and then conclude it's like, oh, the two party system not working, so right. I should do something about that. Um, and, but then don't talk about that uh, until after the mayoral, and so then the book comes out, and I'm then touring nationally and doing, but thank you for everyone who came to the book tour, like loved meeting people. And, um, and I will say to you on a, a like that if I hadn't had that book launch and book tour scheduled for, uh, the fall, I'm not sure if I would have like gotten back out there in that time mm-hmm. frame because after the mayoral, I was like, I need a freaking vacation. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't really get much of it. I feel like. Yeah, I, I, I didn't because of the way the timeline worked. Like, yeah. I came off the mayoral, and then I had to call my publisher, and they were like, we want to publish this book as soon as possible. And I was like, what the heck does that mean in terms of date? They were like, October 5th. And I said, all right, I can be ready October 5th. And right. then when October 5th came around, did I feel, <laughs> you know, ready to It's like, not particularly. But, yeah. you know, just, like, uh, you know, get back on the horse. But yeah, for me, it, it went in a different direction. And I had the luxury to be able to go a different direction. You know, I didn't have the weight of a, an entire nation on my shoulders. But um, yeah, I, I, I reconnected. I mean, we talked about this at the beginning of my podcast, which is like my story is a bit of a, a story of, you know, pol- politics and public service, but also of 
music and the arts and I kind of reconnected with that side of myself and and especially my love for electronic music and really got in I mean I, I'm I'm a German American so I have German citizenship I speak the language spelt spent some time in Germany and in Spain and the house music capital of the world Berlin baby <laughs> techno I think they would probably say but the techno music capital of the world that that, that yeah dudes um it, it is actually house and techno are from the US like from Detroit and Chicago which is really cool um shout out Detroit don't know that which is sick shout out Detroit uh but yeah so I reconnected with that released my first song um started getting offers to DJ some places yes. and uh, have been incredibly fortunate to, to DJ at some of the coolest spots here in New York City and build a bit of a following. And I mean, I think of like my happiest moments of 2022. They are all behind the decks creating just an experience for people on the dance floor. It, it just brings me so much happiness and joy to be able to do that it's it's almost like my new public service in a lot of ways you well, you can see it man i mean i've been there personally and i've also seen the videos and you are so pumped you get other people pumped it's yeah, really it's, beautiful it's like it's so cathartic for me actually uh and i mean i'm, I'm i only want to grow that from here i i have a a real vision for like a, just a revolution revolution on the dance floor um, but what I mean by that is like, I think a lot of people, when they think about going out to the club or something similar, they think of high drink prices, they think <laughs> of standing in line, they think of music maybe that they don't really want to listen to. I mean, you can get darker with it too. And you can think of like being inappropriately touched or you can... Think of being unsafe, having your drink spiked. You know, this is um, can be much worse. These thoughts, if you're if, if you're uh, someone who identifies as a woman. So I think that there is room for a revolution here about like creating a much safer, much more inclusive dance floor where you just like, and you see this a lot more in Europe, um, where you just go to to vibe and be and have a meditative almost experience, a cathartic experience, um, to reconnect with yourself, to build community. Like right now, a lot of DJs that you see come out of a, kind of come out of like Greek culture in the US, which is not like Greek as in Greece, Greek as in fraternities and sororities. And I know some, awesome awesome djs that come out of this like greek to dj pipeline but you know and and feel free it's, to, it's not the vibe that you just described it's not the vibe that i just described and it's not just not that vibe it's actually in a lot of circumstances like a a, a dangerous vibe wow, and what i cool. mean by that is like fraternities and sororities and i think this might piss a lot of people off right now but they create oftentimes really, really unsafe spaces to party in. I just saw a documentary to this effect, and I, I know what you're talking about. I think most people do. Yeah, it, it upholds like this culture of rape, misogyny, that actually goes to a lot of our American systems. Uh, this podcast, Snapped, 
which my sister makes because she has had some really dark experiences in this space, talks about this a lot more. Um, but like Congress is majority fraternity and sorority. And again, I know so many amazing people that come from this space, but the culture that is being created is not one of, not one of safeness, inclu inclusivity, fun in the way that... Is, is there a term for this more positive version of... Uh, EDM gatherings? I can't think of, I can't. Because you should coin this term, and what you just described reminds me of Howard Schultz going to, I believe, Italy and seeing this little cafe and being like, oh, they, they do coffee in a more elevated way, and then he comes back and popularizes it via Starbucks. I feel like you, you had like a different type of experience. You're like, ooh, I should... Uh, popularize this in other places. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I also don't want to take away from um, like this already is a thing. You know, you have incredible play spaces in New York City alone that are mostly in Brooklyn that embody this same kind of atmosphere and vision. Um, like house music comes out of you know, D Detroit and Chicago, which is where this started, this kind of feeling. But with that being said, I think we have to push back in that direction and with, with, you know, with a lot more learned. Well, your music is very, very feel good. Uh, everything I've heard of yours, it has like this jubilance um, that I, I feel like would lead people in a positive direction. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I've got a lot more coming out this year with that same uh, feeling in mind, just like, you know feeling the beat and feeling good and uh joy yeah yeah and so you know follow me on spotify conrad taylor follow conrad taylor <laughs> on spotify check out a couple of his songs just now i pretty much guarantee that you will at least be tapping your feet or doing something physical it'll put a smile on your face uh I, and uh you you're you know both very advanced and also just getting started it's really a, a joy for me to see, and most people wouldn't have the courage to do pretty much half the things you just described that you've already done by the ripe old age of 26. I mean, when, when I have pe young people ask me about how to get involved in various ways, uh, I don't say, hey, run for office, because that seems like a bridge <laughs> too far, though, you know, apparently not. I mean, do it. Um, but what I do say is, like, find a campaign you're excited about and mm -hmm. go in and contribute. And then if you're good, you'll get a lot of responsibility because you and I both know, you know, like good people are hard to find. And totally. <laughs> so you know, if you're yeah. good, you'll get stuff. Uh, and you wound up with an uh, you know, incredible amount of responsibility because you're excellent. Um, and, and so I see in you someone who actually took the advice that I give to, give to young people sometimes. Um, but, and, but now you're applying your passions in this new direction that, uh, that speaks to who you are and will... Uh, give people also uh, the you know the the same sense of optimism and joy that you want them to feel. It's it's really inspirational. Thank you. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And I I hope to continue growing with that exact philosophy in mind. Um, you know, it it it's impossible to not be in this position where you're like just getting started as an artist and seeing some small levels of success. Like your visions of grandeur are large. Maybe they're delusions of grandeur, but I certainly just not at all, man. I mean, you're you're a talented, hardworking person. So if you want to be part of this journey, um, I would love that. 
Follow me on Instagram, at Conrad.Taylor. Same thing on TikTok, Twitter. Uh, Spotify is just Conrad Taylor. I've got big things coming, and I would love for everyone here to be a part of it. Would love to be a part of it, brother. And I can't wait to keep track of your journey, Conrad. You're on your way. Thanks, man. 